0: Hey, my name's Chad, one of the pastors here. Uh, It's a joy to see your faces, to be together. Thank you guys for socially distancing and wearing masks and all that good stuff that we're all used to right now, right? Um, I want to pray for us as we begin. I want to say hello to everybody online that's watching, and maybe you're watching this and it's a few months from now. Uh, I want to let you know that the Lord can meet you exactly where you are anytime you hear the word of God. So let's expect him to do great things this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you uh, for the truth of that hymn that we just sang, Lord, that uh, there is no one who can even stand up next to your beauty and your glory. You are fairer still today. Lord, that last verse just struck me, thinking about where we are uh, in our nation right now, where we are in the world. Beautiful Savior, Lord, of all nations, I think some of the nations might not agree with that. I think some people might not agree with that, Lord, but that's why we're here. We're here to proclaim that truth, that you are our beautiful Savior, Lord of all nations, Son of God, Son of man, and that where this is all headed is glory and honor, praise and adoration to you now and forevermore. God, would you give us the grace this morning to get a glimpse, just a tiny glimpse of who you are. We thank you for this time together. Um, We know that your Holy Spirit is the one who allows us to grow and actually gives us the ability to understand. So would you do that? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we are studying the book of Luke. If you're just joining us Uh, As I said before, the Holy Spirit can meet you wherever you are, so uh, you you aren't behind because He knows exactly where you are and what you need to hear this morning, and so excited. We're in Luke chapter 2, verse 39. If you want to start turning there or finding it on your device, it'll also be on the screen. You can follow along. But the title of our series is The Most Important Story in the World, and it was written by a doctor who was a Gentile, not a Jew. And he wrote it to his friend, Theophilus, uh, who was also a Gentile. So the connection point there for us is that we're Gentiles. We are those who have been outside of um, the people of Israel and have heard this message and are sitting here today because somebody kept passing this story along. The most important story in the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'll just say this, with everything that you are hearing online at work, at school, now that school's been flipped back to online, you name it, all the stuff that's out there, every social media app, whatever format your news and information and truth is coming in, the most important thing you need right now is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear his voice speaking to you. And like if it was winter and we were gathered around a fire to get warm, it is the warmth and truth that we need. And today we're going to ask a question. Uh, the title of the message is Where is Jesus? And it's a little bit of a play on the obvious story that's happening, but it's a good one for us because this question has been asked thousands of times in a thousand different ways by thousands of different people throughout the centuries asking this question Where is Jesus? Where is God? That question, especially as you look at the things that are happening in the world and you're watching stuff happen, it flies off, maybe not with the best of intentions, maybe with a little bit of a curse to say, where is he? What is he doing? Why isn't he active right now? And just when we think, I've got him figured out, I have Jesus located, I have God understood and in my box, I've been searching for him and I figure him out then he seems to elude our grasp and slip away. And we wonder, why haven't I felt his presence very much recently? Why is it so hard to connect with him? Maybe you're somebody who's saying, does he even exist? I don't even know. I need him to answer me because I'm afraid. I'm worried about what's happening. Where is Jesus in this worldwide pandemic Where is God in the national crisis that we see facing us? Where is him? Where is he? It's interesting because in our story today, people who were very close to him could actually see him lose him. He slips away and they wonder where he is and then they find him, but do they really? I love to think about the in-between moments of scripture And it's really what you need to do. You need to be sitting there imagining what it was like. If there is a video library in heaven of all of the in-between moments, the apostle John uh, wrote at the end of his gospel that if all the things were written down that happened to Jesus, there wouldn't be enough books in the whole world to fill them up. So we know there's other things that happened, those in-between, maybe those lost, the lost years, the, the lost moments, the stuff that's not there. And so because God is not bound by time and space, he created it. He's always been, he always will be, he exists in eternity past and he decided, hey, along with this whole world thing and human beings, I'm going to create this thing called time. And guess what? That time does not constrain him. He doesn't say, oh, shoot, I can't go back to that thing. I think it's almost as if God looks down at time and it's this circle and he can go, "Mm, I'm going to go there. And so I imagine in heaven, this is me, this is how I think about things when I think about the Lord, I imagine we could say, hey, can we, um, can we go back to that spot? He's like, yeah, let's do it. And he takes you back and you can be there with one of these amazing events of the resurrection or the crucifixion, as difficult as that would be, or watching him feed the 5,000 or maybe the parting of the Red Sea. I want to go there. I want to see those things. But there's also stories, and it's like the one today where there's just a summary written And it leaves a lot to our imagination of what's going on, what happened, wait a minute, you didn't tell me anything. You just said this little couple of sentences to describe 30-something years of his life. When can I actually find out what happened? And what we have is in Luke chapter 2, verse 39, we have two teenage parents who are trying to figure out how to be parents. And they have this other little wrinkle in that they're a parent to the son of God. So it might be a little difficult. They're trying to figure it out. And so we're going to jump in to what Luke makes as a summary statement. But I want you to be thinking, what was happening behind the scenes? What was going on? Just two verses to get us started. Luke two thirty nine. When they, this is Joseph and Mary, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew, became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So where have they been? Bethlehem. Christmas story. Daniel took us through last week. They have seen amazing things. There were shepherds that came in and worshiped. They had these promises. Mary was supernaturally pregnant. It's this whole big thing. People, it was a scandal. And so imagine they pop back into town. Hey, everybody, we're back with our baby. It's the Son of God. And it's a little awkward. And it's a little weird. People probably talking, they're wondering, they're like, yeah, there's some crazy story. Did you hear about what happened with her? Who did she get? Who was she with? Who, how did she get pregnant? Nobody's buying that whole angel thing. And I love this, just stopping and thinking about this phrase, when they had performed everything according to the law. Now you might just pass over that and be like, yeah, 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 whatever. But what does that statement tell us about Mary and Joseph? It tells me they were devout, they were committed they wanted to please God. They don't strike me as those who were caught up in the world with politics. You know, I don't think Joseph was coming home being like, oh, I'm so sick of Rome. I just can't wait till they're out of here. I got to rise up and we got to do something about this. I, he's, just, he's a carpenter. He's a simple guy. I think they're just, they want to be faithful. On that note, though, they weren't caught up in the political things and the comings and goings of culture, but I sure am I sure am. And so I'm, I'm challenged. I'm watching these two who actually raised the son of God who have the greatest gift and promise in their house and they're not getting caught up in all this other stuff. Interesting. And it's not wrong to be interested in what's happening in the world and politics right now, but I will say that their simple lifestyle of devotion to the Lord to do everything that the, the law required, their commitment to God, both reminds me what's important and it calls me higher. It calls me higher. Their actions remind me also of a tension that is in the Bible. And what is that tension? It's this. You are following God, who is the king of the universe. He has all power. When he says he's going to do something, he does it. So let me tell you, if he says he's going to get you, he will get you. If he is after your heart, I don't know how you believe about him, if you think you can actually resist the almighty and powerful God, but if he wants you, he will get you. His grace is what makes us even want to want to. I wouldn't have become a follower of Jesus if something crazy hadn't happened in my heart by the Holy Spirit to make me want him He compels us. His love compels us. His grace changes our affections. So here's the tension. So what's my part? What am I supposed to do? If you find yourself thinking, I don't have any responsibility. If that's how it works and God just does what he wants to do, then man, I don't even need to think about anything. His grace is good. God's grace is good. I don't even need to worry about sin. Then that's a problem. On the other side of things, if you think I have to work so hard to stay faithful to him, I got to make sure tonight I confess every single thing, every bad thought. That's a problem if you think it's up to you. So here's this tension, all-powerful God who says, I'm going to get you. I'm going to come to your heart. I'm going to save you. And then what's my responsibility? So Joseph and Mary are dealing with that tension. Let me ask you a question. What did they do to cause God to give them the greatest gift in the world that would be the greatest gift in the world for humanity in the son of God being in their family? What did they do? Nothing, nothing. But now that it has happened, what is their responsibility? What must they do now that it has happened? And here it is. That is the question for every human being on the planet. Now that the son of God has come to earth, not our doing, what must we do? You will not escape that question. You will be asked, what did you do with Jesus? It will happen eventually. So when I read about their devotion, that they did everything that the law commanded, I don't think they were legalistic, religious zealots, but just simple, faith-filled teenage servants of God who wanted to please Him. And they would say to you, if you were asking them, sitting with Joseph and Mary in heaven, maybe watching this video with Jesus, Over coffee in heaven one day, they would tell you, We didn't do anything to earn this great gift, but we really wanted to please Him. I want that in my life. I want that simplicity. I want to be pulled away from the things that are drawing me in in the world. And I want that simplicity just to be devoted. So that's Joseph and Mary. What about Jesus? What's He doing at this moment? He is being a baby. He's a baby. This little statement, these couple of verses is going to describe like his whole childhood all the way up until he's in his 30s. That's all you get. These are the lost years. These are the lost moments. What is he doing? He's being a kid. He is somewhat helpless. He needs to be cared for. He needed to have his diaper changed. He needed to be fed. He'd be picked up when he skinned his knee. At the same time, Was there a lot wrong with the world at this moment? A ton. So much was wrong with the world. All the sin, all the hurt, all that needed to be fixed, the injustice, the pain, and what is Jesus doing? Being a kid, playing in the street. Maybe he had a friend named Abraham They used to hang out, climb trees. But Jesus, look at all the stuff that was happening. Jesus is watching Joseph plain wood, shape it, measure it, making furniture. Joseph carefully measures a piece of wood and says, Jesus, you try. Okay. The person who invented wood, designed its intricacies and fiber and pulp and grain and the way it would dry out and become strong and some woods would be softer than others. That God is, let me try. Okay. One can't help but wonder, why didn't Jesus just come out of the desert fully formed as the superhero God? He comes out, his hair's whipping, he's buff, he's tan. Out of the desert, where did this guy come from? We don't know. It's probably from heaven. That's an easier sell for somebody trying to say, hey, this is God. He comes out and he's immediately doing miracles. That'll work. Instead, he's a baby. He's a kid. He's learning. He's growing. He has neighbors. He has friends. The world is dying. The world is full of sin. The world is full of injustice and hurt. And the savior of the world is learning to make tables and chairs What is happening? People were getting away with extortion, theft, murder, selfishness of the highest order, greed. People are being mistreated, abused. And Jesus is a child who is still learning and growing. Ah! It wouldn't be unusual for for us to ask this. Jesus, why are you taking so long to grow up? What are you doing? If you've come to save us, why are you hanging out in this part of the world? Nazareth, this small off the beaten path place that nobody really likes. If you want to get stuff done, I can show you where the real people in power are, and it's not here. I can show you the people that hold the purse strings, those who wield political power. Let's go. Imagine you actually gave Jesus a few years to be a kid and then you walked into the shop and maybe he's 10 or 11 and Joseph has actually passed off a project to him and you see Jesus working on a piece of wood and you walk in and you say, Jesus, and he looks up and kind of wipes his brow and big smile. And he's like, yeah, he's like, let's go, let's go do something important. And he looks down, he looks at you and he goes, but I have work to do, work, work, this isn't work. This is a hobby. Let's go do the real work of justice and peace in the world. What am I saying? Why won't you do what I want you to do when I want you to do it? Jesus, you ever said that? We have that conversation weekly. Why won't you do what I want you to do when I want you to do it? And imagine Jesus looking back at you saying, Aha. Now who's the piece of wood that needs to be planed? Who needs some shaping? Who needs to be sanded and put into place? So Jesus stayed put. He ate bread and olives and grew. John and Luke says the child grew, became strong filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This verse isn't just filler. It isn't to get you to the good stuff. This verse is critical to your salvation. What? I thought my salvation is this, the cross and the resurrection, conquering sin and death, sacrifice. What do you mean Jesus making tables and chairs is crucial to my salvation? Let's answer our previous question. Why didn't he just pop out of the wilderness, fully grown, Because he had to live and breathe and suffer and grow just like you to be your high priest. Hebrews chapter 4 describes it this way. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That is the key phrase yet without sin. He's someone who knows what it's like to be a 12-year-old, to be a 15-year-old, to be a 20-something, 34. He knows and understands. Even though he died at the age of 33, he created you. He knows you. He knit you together. He wrote every day of your life in his book. He understands. So as I was studying this week, the Lord, I felt, really gave me a, a word for students this week middle school, high school, college. And the first word I wanted to say specifically to the college students is this virus is not on you. I know there's a little bit of buzz going around town, people somehow thinking that rise and everything and all the stuff and the change is on you. It's not, that's the first thing. If we know anything about God, first of all, this is an invisible virus just happened to be in the whole world. Second, if you were with us at all, if you want to go back and listen to in our Quarantine with Jesus series, what have we said from the beginning? What is happening and what the Lord allows to happen in our city, in every city and all of the, it is according to his plan, which is to allow the most people to come to know him. Even if it's difficult stuff, it fits into his plan. So that's the first thing. But here's the second thing. If you're in middle school, if you're in high school, or if you're in college today, I want you to lean into this truth. He gets it. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like when you compare yourself to him or to her. He's felt every type of temptation and hurt and isolation that you feel, and yet he didn't Sin. But he also had something that you and I can never get apart from Jesus. He had the favor and blessing of God. It says he was filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. Guess what? That sentence isn't written about us unless we have Christ. We cannot earn it. We can't buy it. We can't say enough, live well enough, do enough to ever get this favor from the Father. Why? Because he was God in the flesh and we're not. So this time right here, Jesus as a teenager, Jesus growing up, waiting, learning, hidden. What's it for? What's it for? And I don't say this out of a self-focused, what can I get out of Jesus? What can I get from him? But here's what it's for. He did this for you. He did this for us. So that... We could have a high priest who understands. Think about this. In the history of the world, up until right now and all the way, as long as the Lord lets this thing keep spinning, there has never been a baby, a toddler, an elementary age, a middle school, a high school age, or a college person and beyond who has lived without sin and faced everything that you and I face except for one, Jesus He is the one who has lived this for us. So here's a question. Do you want to know how grace, mercy, strength, and power from the Holy Spirit becomes available and applicable to you as a follower of Jesus? Or how about the ability to actually take a stand and not follow the ways of the world or not listen to the wisdom of the world, but listen to the wisdom of God to stay faithful to Jesus through your younger years? Where does that come from? How are you able to do that? You're looking at it because he did it. He lived it perfectly. That is a crucial part of the gospel. It's not just that he died. It's that he lived. He lived perfectly so that we would have what we need for salvation through his perfectly lived life. Let me say it again. His rightly lived life, his righteousness. So when you say yes to Jesus, you don't just get forgiveness for your sins, you get his record as a teenager, as a kid, as a middle whatever, you know, this is, that all those other ages, everything, you get it and Jesus says, transferred over to your record, credited to you, his righteousness. The cross is absolutely crucial. You cannot find life without his sacrifice for your sins, but don't neglect that his living, actually living out the perfect sinless life for you through all the stuff of life is part of the righteousness that you inherit. So as we read the next part, I want you to think about his age and think about what he's doing for you as he's living this out. Verse 40, 41. His parents, Joseph and Mary, went to Jerusalem every year. Again, we're seeing the devotion at the Feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents didn't know it. How does that happen? That's all I want to say. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day, a full day thinking, he's fine He's probably with somebody. When they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So first, they went every year. They went every year. You're seeing, again, a young couple devoted to God, wanting to do things well, pursuing his heart, seeking his kingdom, and, well, they have that whole angel business that happened a few years ago, the supernatural pregnancy of Mary, the birth of their son of God, the worship from the shepherds. A year later, the worship from those strange guys from the east, something about a star, several dreams, narrow escapes. So, yeah, they're paying attention. They want to do it right. They want to follow. They're believing the stuff that happened a few years ago. But maybe it's been a few years. Maybe now they've got a a few doubts. Maybe one day Joseph is helping out changing a diaper. It's, it's, It's a difficult one. And just imagine him being like, this is, no. This is what they said. Here's a simple truth. If you have seen God work in your life in the past, don't forget it. Don't forget it. Remember Remember is one of the key words in scripture, not for some new spin or theological twist on scripture, on something that has been settled for centuries and has been lived out and died for truth and understanding of this truth. And then somebody comes along and goes, no, 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 I got a new way to understand that. And this is why you don't have to do this, this or this. Don't fall for it. Remember who he is. Remember what he said even if you have those doubts along the way. And then we have something happens. Something always does, right? That something is something that every parent in the world would be absolutely wrecked over. Jesus is missing. Where is Jesus? Joseph. I just imagine Mary. Because I don't I don't think this was like, where is he? I don't know. I think she at some point, where is Jesus? Joseph, where is Jesus? Where is our son? Where is the son of God? <laughs> you lost him? You lost the son of God. You had one job, Joseph. Take care of the son of God. This, it wasn't like an easy conversation. So they begin looking for him. First, assuming he's with the group. And you got to imagine, and this is just how, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but I think I'd probably be the one being like, he's, he's up there somewhere. It's fine. It's with his friends. He's playing. I don't think Mary bought it for a second. I think she was like, I am not satisfied with that answer, husband. (laughs) Where is our son? Where is the son of God? Dads are much more apt to be like, he's a boy. Boys will be boys. So they start asking, looking for him among the relatives. He's got to be here, right? I mean, he knows he's supposed to do what we ask him to do when we want him to do it, right? But what we know as readers, because Luke gives us an inside view, they don't. They're in the moment thinking they've lost the promised one. And that they, because of that, they're looking for Jesus, but they're looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. You've seen the song, looking for Jesus in all the wrong, no, they're looking in the wrong place. They're looking among the relatives that maybe he's up here, maybe he did this. They expect him to be with them, doing their thing in their timing. Just let that be your sentence. I expect him to be with me, doing my thing in my timing, but he's not. I want to dig beyond the obvious. That's what you got to do when you read God's word. Dig beyond the obvious, which is we know he's stayed behind. You know, the story goes they're going to find him, but look for Jesus in other places in this text. Something has happened. On the surface, he's missing from the family, but underneath, what's happened is strategic. He is beginning to reveal himself. It's small, but the plan set in place from eternity past, if you could see a little gauge in heaven with a needle, it would be doing this. It's like, something's happening. Angels gather around. Look, the needle's moving. He is starting to reveal himself. This isn't about him going missing. This is about him starting the process and the plan to save us. So, this is the festival of the Passover lamb. Just think about that for a second. This is the festival of the Passover lamb. And we have a beautiful moment, a deep and symbolic moment, packed with meaning because the young Lamb of God is in attendance. This isn't his first Passover. In fact, he was at the first Passover. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is in attendance. Year after year, they go to the Passover festival. It's kind of like going to church. It's what we do. Yep, celebrate God, God is good, God loves us, God's good all the time. All the time, God is good. Year after year, it's like living out this prophetic word over and over. Yep, we're celebrating the moment when God passed over the houses and everybody had to take a lamb and kill it and put the door, the blood on the doorpost of their house and God would see it. The angel of death would come by and say, that is a house of faith. They're believing, I will pass over this house. Those who did not have the blood on the door of their house Were killed. Now you may disagree with that, but that's the deal. That's the deal. And as it translates to the New Testament, we know what's the house now? Right here. What's the door? The heart. Is the blood of Jesus applied? So the Lamb of God is in attendance at this Passover. It is sacred, it's holy. It's a costly thing. You didn't just walk up and go, yeah, here's my lamb. See ya. We're going to go get some baklava. They had to come up and you bring a perfect, they search the lamb. They make sure it's perfect. It's costly to your family. You watch the animal be killed. You watch the life drain from its body. The blood pours out. The priest turns to you and says, now your sins are forgiven that's intense. They do this year after year. But here's the thing. Nobody really gets it. They don't get it. They're not looking for God, even though he's right under their noses. They don't know what type of bondage and captivity they really need to be rescued from. It wasn't Egypt. Egypt was just a picture of the Egypt that we're born with that lives in our hearts. Everybody's doing the thing, the church thing, but nobody's looking for Jesus. They're looking for him, but not the way they should. The text tells us they were searching for him, but they did not find him. They were expecting him to be where they wanted and they couldn't find him there. So here's simple application for you to ask. Where am I looking for God to be working in my life? And it could be the wrong place entirely with the wrong expectations and assumptions from me. This can be subtle too. It doesn't have to be like huge. It can be how I look at other people and I see them really as enemies. It could be in my politics. Oh, there's a lot of that, isn't there right now? Could be the way I view walking with Jesus as a work hard religion. I do the right things. And I know that that will earn me this, this, and this, whether it's a blessing from God, or I know this is why I'm getting into heaven because I work hard. Or maybe I expect Jesus to be with me and I'm looking for him when I am looking down on other people who aren't living as devoted as I am. Maybe you look for him and you say, I'm just looking for Jesus to be a good teacher, just to be a great example. Can I tell you something? You won't find him. You won't find him. Symbolically, what he's doing, he seems like he's missing, yet he is where he should be and he is where we need him to be. Let's read the last part, verse 46. After three days, three days as a parent looking for your missing child, do you think they were calm? No. And they find him in the temple and he's sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents are like, we're not amazed at you. (laughs) We are fired up. And so Mary says, it says that when they saw him, they were astonished. Not like, wow, this is so amazing what's happening here. No, they're saying, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And if there were room for extra words in that phrase, they are implied. (laughs) Right? And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And I think Mary and Joseph were like, you've... Oh, this is the, the need, this is, this is, this is that. This, oh, this, this, we're still mad at you, but is, this is that. It says simply, they didn't understand what he was saying to them. But you know, their hearts were starting to just, the butterflies and the thing of like, I wonder, is this the, oh my goodness, Joseph, do you remember what the angel said about his name? that he would save his people from their sins. Is this happening? Is this beginning to happen? But Jesus went with them anyway. Tells them I had to be with my father's house about my father's business, but it says he was, went with them and was submissive to them. Reminds me of Philippians 2. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He gave up his God given authority and rights, at least the access to those rights and authority, he still remained fully God, but he submitted to them. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I love this from they don't know what he's saying to I'm treasuring this. You don't treasure things you don't get. You treasure things that are starting to unfold. You're getting revelation. And then you get the statement again. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. What is it with God and three days? He really likes threes. He really does. They're all over the place in the scripture. One that I can think of, Jesus makes reference to it, is three days in the belly of a whale. Jonah. Yes, a real whale. Yes, a real Jonah, not a symbolic thing. Yeah, that's what he did. And Jesus says, that's the only sign you're going to get, Pharisees, is the sign of Jonah. Because we all know the most famous three days was three days in the tomb. The anxiety, the waiting. How interesting that Mary and Joseph have three days of not knowing what's happening. If it's they lost him, they failed in their mission to raise the son of God. I, I think about these things and this is kind of how I process through stuff. I get stuck in this stuff. I start reading God's word and I, I'm stuck for like 15 minutes on three days. Three days. This is me in my office. <laughs> I'm like, I can wait one day. Most people can wait one day. I mean, with your child missing, like one hour is too much. But if it's like a thing you're waiting on, uh, unanswered or something, I can wait one day. Two days, if you're really strong, really got some chops to you, like I can do two. But something about three is just too much. Just too much. Three is past the point of I can do this. I'm just thinking out loud here, but that's how my mind works. Either way, I cannot imagine having one of my kids missing for a few hours. I'm not sure what the statistics are for missing children and the window of time it takes for getting somebody on the case, but I do recall that three days would be pushing it. So when you finally find Jesus, the shock that he's in the temple, and imagine maybe a relative, uncle so-and-so goes, Hey, got him. He's right. You stay right there, Jesus. Don't move your parents. And Mary Joseph, get over here. I found him. He's in the temple. So how do we know this story about finding Jesus and that he was missing? Years later, Luke's interviewing Mark and the person that wrote the first gospel and all the stories are being put together, the narratives, but who told this story? Probably Mary. So imagine Mary sitting around with the disciples at the fire. Maybe it's after the resurrection, maybe Jesus has already returned to heaven. They're trying to live out this whole thing. Imagine Peter and Andrew like, Mary, Mary, tell him that. Tell them one about when Jesus was missing again. That one's awesome. And then it gets to the point when it's like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Where did you find him? Where did you find him? In this place of saying, You found him where? In the temple? Are you they found him in the temple? Like just loving to tell these stories, thinking about. Of all the places, of all the places, he's sitting there and not just wandering around, he has the top leaders and scholars and religious people, and they are glued to him. They probably love telling that story because it was one of the first that really started to show who he was. We think we understand Jesus, and actually we want to contain him and keep him from escaping our boxes, We want him in places where he is useful to us, not wild or unpredictable. Jesus, stay where I can see you at all times, especially in a pandemic. I need you to work here. But I'm going to say this. I hope he surprises you the way he surprises me when I finally do find him when I see him at work. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but usually it's in the middle of something where it's not even a chair time. It's it's in a moment when I'm maybe not at my best and having a whatever bad attitude reaction, say something I shouldn't say, and then this gentle, sweet, but very firm way the Holy Spirit just goes <clears throat> and shows up. And at first I'm like, I'm shocked. But then I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. That's so like you to show up in the middle of these things. I think I haven't figured out. And then something happens. Jesus goes missing the same way it happened for Mary and Joseph. And Jesus is on the move, not because he wants to put them in a terror or make them anxious or make them think they failed at their mission to raise the son of God. Why is he on the move? Why is he staying behind the needle? (laughs) He is moving the needle, the plan of redemption for the human race. He's sitting in the temple talking about the words of God with the guys who study it and have memorized it. He's asking questions. He's giving answers and everybody's like this, how did you, how did you, I've never heard that. That makes so much sense. Like they're glued to his every word. He's sitting at the feet of the leaders and teachers to learn about God, except that he is God. That's crazy. The one that these rabbis and scholars have studied, memorized, prayed to for centuries is sitting with them, but they can't see him. They can't find him. His parents have now physically found him. But have they found him? Do they get it yet? No, they're not quite sure. Jesus perfectly lived life is both something that is transferred to us. So even him in this moment of learning and teaching, we need that as well. But it's also something for us to look at as an example to follow. This is the second word I felt like I got for students this week, and it can apply to all of us, but I want to direct it to you. If you are a student, uh, middle school, high school, college. And it's this, you were looking at a teenager, the son of God sitting in the temple, pouring over the truth of who God is learning, speaking about him. And here is the word I felt. It was just as clear as day. I want you to look at Jesus. I want you to hear the call of the Lord on your life. Don't wait. Don't settle. Don't believe in relative truth. And what that means is, is it does it relate to me? Do I decide whether or not it's good or not? Believe in the absolute truth. It will not come from Snapchat. It will not come from Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter, but the living word of God, sitting at his feet, listening to him, find him here. Find him here. You want to look for him? You want to ask, where is Jesus? Find him here. Bring your misconceptions, bring your hurt feelings, bring your misapplied expectations, even your misinformed accusations to him. He will set you and me straight. I promise. Even though he is where he should be, in his father's house, learning his father's business, Jesus submits to his earthly parents at least for a time. And I bet there were some interesting conversations as they headed back to Nazareth. Like maybe one that was like, Jesus, you walk, just, you stay close. You stay close to your parents. Or like I mentioned before, maybe he's a little bit out of earshot, but he was never out of earshot because it's the son of God and he could read their thoughts. But Maybe Mary and Joseph had those conversations that started to unpack the revelation and the prophecy that they had received. Here's the thing the truth for Mary and Joseph, as his parents, is that if they had had their way, they would have discouraged Jesus from doing anything in life that would get him killed. Right? As parents, you know what we think about? As soon as the kids are leaving the house, or gonna go somewhere or whatever, be careful, be safe. Even as they're driving away with friends, whatever, the prayers are just bubbling up. Keep them safe, Lord, keep them out of trouble. Mary and Joseph, Jesus, don't do anything, you know, to like get the government's attention on you. Like Rome, Or people that crucify people and people that get mad at people. Don't do anything to get people mad at you. can imagine Jesus being like, okay, mother. Okay, father. All along knowing what it would cost. Knowing the way to find Jesus, the way to see him, to understand him completely is the cross. It was for him to be killed. They would need to go there. Maybe they weren't ready yet, but they would need to go there. And so do we. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and we're gonna celebrate the Passover. That is the new version, the new understood version. It might take you a minute to get these things open. Um, And if you did not receive One, on the way in, we kind of ran out, but we do have somebody who can bring some. If you want to just raise your hand, we can bring it to you. I promise it's uh, COVID-free. So, yeah, there's some more hands over here. So this, the Passover of Jesus. Oh, goodness. And now it's going to be difficult for me. There we go. So the meal that he attended first celebrated with his disciples, lived in front of them. I wanna set the context for us with the words of Isaiah, which were written hundreds of years before the cross. And it brings understanding to us of what Jesus was doing during the Passover. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. In other words, people looked at him being crucified and thought, what did he do? They didn't connect with it. But in faith, and if your eyes are open, and if you're following him to the cross, and you're doing like Joseph and Mary, and you're seeing that the needle is moving, and you're starting to understand that the plan is in play, it says, surely though, he has borne our griefs, our sicknesses, our infirmities, and carried our sorrows. We just thought he was stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but now we're getting it. He was actually pierced for our transgressions, for my sins. He was crushed for my iniquities. Rome didn't crush him. The Pharisees didn't crush him. You know who crushed him? God. God. The New Testament tells us it pleased the father to crush him for you, for your iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. Or if you don't know him, that can bring you peace. And with his wounds, if you're willing, we are healed. Isaiah minces no words when he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every single person to his own way. That's a a poetic way of saying, uh, yeah, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We're all born with Egypt, bondage, captivity in our hearts. Even with that though, it says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When you read that phrase, what you need to see is God the Father carrying out in his justice and in his righteousness and in his holiness what has to happen for sin. It must be paid for. It must be satisfied. His wrath is laid on Jesus. Then when they sat down to the meal, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Let's take together. He also took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins It's connecting the dots to the prophecy of the angel Jesus he will save his people from their sins here he is about to go to the cross to be the final Passover lamb and he says this is for your forgiveness I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day that day when the Passover celebration becomes the marriage supper of the Lamb and we will all raise a glass to the King of kings and Lord of lords. But in the meantime, Jesus says, take this. Jesus, what can we say in response to your great gift? Your love for us. Lord, you are our living hope. There's no one who can save us. No one. As a friend reminded me this week, there are three phrases that we must cling to, three things we must say in response to everything that's happening in our world. It is finished, He is risen. He is coming again. It is finished. He is risen. He is coming again. Lord, those words are the answer to every problem in our world. So we humbly, the way you did to Joseph and Mary, even if we don't get it, submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to your way, to your kingdom way. Lord, we want to look for you in the right places. We want you to rearrange our priorities. We want you to undo our assumptions and expectations. We want to learn. We want to sit at your feet. We want to be hanging on every word. We want this word of God to be the thing we reach for, not our phones. Teach us, Lord. Thank you for living through these moments. As a kid, as a teenager, as a young man, all of the things that we faced, Lord, you faced. We bless you, Jesus, and we love you. Amen. Why don't we stand as we sing together?